Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams, and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well, plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland. You, you've been um, uh, living the dream, haven't you? Walking the ground. Yeah, I've been walking the ground. Um, and uh, I came up with so many um, so many phrases that, that Tom, who was, who was on the trip, came up with a with a, a Sicily We Have Ways bingo card. Yes, I saw that. Um, and one of the big ones, yeah. one of the big revelations yeah. was from from Mike Chalky Peters. Mm. Chalky, Chalky doesn't like anyone calling a, 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 a wacko um, glider or Waco. Oh yeah, he's yeah. he's got a real thing about that. So it's like, don't it call is. it a don't call it a Waco. It's a wacko. Yeah, you see, he says that. Oh, well, you know, you can argue that. Over, you can just, argue it's that with him, Chalky. It? It's just him. It's just Chalky's the only person I've ever heard them heard call them uh, wackos. The, the only the only person. I mean, I'm I'm happy to happy to hear his reasoning, but it, that, it, well, I can't quite remember what it was, but it was quite solid. When he when he explained it, what is it an acronym or something? It's an acronym, yeah. It's an acronym, and the reason it's not Waco Waco is a town in Texas where yeah, I know David that. Yeah. but um, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But 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 it's got nothing to do with that. They're designed by the Waco. They're designed by the Waco Air, WACO Aircraft Company. Yeah, but the WAAC obviously stands for something. I can't remember what it is. So the the Waco <laughs> Aircraft Company, the Weaver Aircraft Company. That's I've, it. I've I've gone to Wikipedia inevitably. Founded in 1920, dis- defunct in 1947, WACO, referring to the aircraft, is usually pronounced Waco, like the first syllable pronounced as in water, not Waco, like Waco, Texas, whose name is entirely unrelated. So Waco. So it's not so Waco either. So Chalky's wrong. I like can't water. Wait. Oh, that's can't good. wait. I'm oh, looking forward to that one. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, so we had that anyway. That was all good. And the difference. He was very interesting on all that because he was talking about the different ways in which, which, because obviously we, you know, we, we went to Ponte Grande, which was which was the ill-fated glider attempt on on the first night, where only four out of 147 landed, and 69 landed in the sea, 54 went haywell, and whole 10 were I never mean, accounted after for. That saying, yeah, we'll try that again. <laughs> just amazing. Anyway, he was saying the whole that is completely amazing that they tried it again. So, so check this out. I, I know we said this before, but it, 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 it's worth repeating. The average flying time on yeah. walkers. Oh, no. <laughs> an hour and a half at night and three hours by day. That's what they had, the pilots. Yeah, I know. It's just unbelievable. But anyway, he was saying that the, 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 the Warco, oh, I can't yeah. enjoy oh, this. I can't do it. Yeah, good. The Warco. The Warco. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's designed to kind of, because it's alum, aluminum, aluminum. Um, uh, rather than wood, it, and it's this completely different shape, it's designed to kind of sort of effectively flutter down. He said, so imagine a kind of like a, a, a sycamore bud. Yeah. You know, hovering down and just fluttering down. So it flutters down. Whereas the whole point about the horser is it's supposed to go down in a very deep, steep yeah, swoop, dive. Swoops in. Yeah. Swoop down and swoop in. So it's, it's not that one's right and one's wrong. It's just that the horser is designed to do what it's designed to do. And the walko is also designed to do what it's designed to do. But but they're fundamentally two different things. And the aim of the Ponte Grande operation is to do what it what wants to do in a horser. Yeah. And that's what the... And that's what the British pilots are generally trained on if they've trained on anything. Yeah. Glider pilot, GPR guys. Oh, dear, man. I know. It's just so, so mad. It's so yeah. mad. And obviously, we went to sort of Capo Muro de Porco where, the, uh, where, where Paddy Main's SAS lot landed. And, you know, you are just thinking, wouldn't it have been better to just put these guys ashore by boat? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. What really is the point of this? Yeah. But one thing I did do, which we, which we hadn't, which I hadn't been to before, which was really good is we followed the advance of the first infantry division on highway 120 i think it was up in the up in the north you know from from so so it's going from it's going to Spalinga, then Nicosia, and then on to um Cherami, and then on to Troina so it's that that west to east axis but you know obviously i hadn't been to that part of the ground before and it was fascinating to see it it was yeah. really really interesting so um, really interesting so how many were in your party about 35, most right, of them, a, right. a large proportion IC, a couple cool. of Americans, 
a yeah. handful of, of Canadians. You said there was a, a Canadian there who accompanied Centre on Holiday or something. Yes. Sudana, yes, yes, she, she, she been on her, basically she's she works in a, a law firm. She's obviously been working too hard, and so her, her, um, her colleagues at the law firm said, right, you're going on holiday. Um, we insist you take a break. Here's your holiday, and it was a place for two on this tour because she they knew that she listened to. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, she was. They, her, so she took her sister. He didn't know really anything about the Second World War, but 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 sort of entered into the spirit of it. Oh, but they live in Halifax in Nova Scotia, so they were talking all about Halifax and the war. So and HTPs and everything, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's and then we had one evening, such a funny conversation about fainting goats, as you do. It kind of one of those conversations that just sort of expanded <laughs> and went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> and, so, and this American girl, Isabel, was so, so saying, yeah, you know, we used to have fainting, fainting, fainting goats on our farm. I was like, what are you talking about? Apparently there's a whole sort of breed of goats that when they get scared, they just fall over. Really? Yeah, so then, yeah, then you kind of look on TikTok and Instagram. And there and they all are. It's literally, yeah, it's literally the fainting thing. goats. It was, it was, it was great fun, and um, everyone was utterly delightful and entered into the spirit of me insisting they walk, walk miles to Highland Division monuments or um, up. And it's not called Azoro; it's called Asoro. I've now discovered. So that's another thing I got wrong. So Warkos, Warkos is just so brilliant. Can't wait to get chalky on that. It's Warkos. That's what it's it Warcos. says. It, as yeah, in water. That's really funny. That's really, really yeah, good. Yeah, that's really yeah. funny. So, so it's good, you know, and, and you always learn more. And, and um, you know, I was reminded again of just how completely grim it is operating and must have been if operating in Sicily. Yeah. Really, really horrid. Yeah. And the, and, and the weather's, that's the good weather, isn't it? That's the thing. It's not the, it's not the bad weather that follows that winter that, you know, Savage Storm is all about. The particularly bad winter of 1943, 44. Um, oh, it's brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Especially um, bad. Especially, especially bad. bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> so did you, you so what yeah, order did you do it in? Did you, did you, you know, start in so we did. We did the Americans first. We went to Jella. Tom, as in bingo card, had a copy of Rally Trevelyan's Guide to Sicily, which was obviously oh, written just after war. And um, he was pointing out that, that, that Jella was a, was a place, Senza Speranza, <laughs> you know, yeah. any hope whatsoever, in one, of, one of the biggest dumps on the planet. So, so I was sort of going, well, I know this is our first stand, but, you know, don't be put off by that. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so we went and stood on the beach where, where, you know, the famous picture of Patton is standing yeah. on the beach and stuff and, and had a look at all that and working into the town. And um, then we went out and had a look at it from the Italian point of view, from the, um, from the counterattack across the plain yeah. of Jella. And I mean, yeah. literally like walking, you know, getting out of the Somme trenches and walking across open no man's land. I thought that, I mean, I mean just, you sent a photo of that. I thought it was absolutely extraordinary that, 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 that. Yeah. They're, what were they thinking? Zero cover. So what are you thinking? No cover. I mean, no cover at all. I mean, what's your only your only option is rolling barrages and all sort of old. Yeah. So the rolling barrages don't turn up. There's a few mortars. That's it because yeah. the artillery's not tied in with the Italians, yeah. of course. Yeah. Um, and it's a complete cock up. And so basically, in the in the in the morning, in full daylight, under the eyes of of offshore naval guns, um, blocking positions on the roads of Americans with thirty calibers and mortars and all the rest of it, which they'd prepared overnight because the Americans yeah. are trained to operate at night, not yeah. just by daylight. Yeah. And they get absolutely slaughtered, which, of yeah. course, they're going to. Um, yeah. It's always absolutely inevitable. Uh, supposed to be a coordinated attack with the with the Germans, but the Germans are the Hermann division who've just moved there two days earlier and yeah. don't know the ground whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that really struck home was the, absurd, the utter absurdity of having Tiger tanks in Sicily. Yeah. I mean, just, just utterly pointless. Yeah. I mean, just can't do anything. Yeah. I mean, because the first, the first, first three Tiger tanks, the first one, they get hit as they turn around a corner by a, by an American paratrooper with a small anti-tank gun, thirty-seven yeah. millimeter or whatever they've yeah. somehow got with them, um, and that gets hit. So the driver then panics because he's crap and yeah. doesn't hasn't very well trained. Oh, or, gets or stuck only, off or, the road. or ultimately only human. Or only human, yeah, to be fair. <laughs> to be fair. But, 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 you know, man for man, he's not one of those ones who's been on the Eastern Front, been in Poland, been yeah, in the yeah, Balkans, yeah. seen there, done it. Okay, so this is yeah. this is a new boy. Panics, gets stuck. So another tiger up behind him comes up and tries to haul him out. In the process of hauling him out, breaks its steering gear. So a third one comes along to get both of them out, also breaks its steering gear. So three tigers are knocked out, blocking the road, can't go anywhere. I mean, yeah. just utterly ridiculous. So that was it was quite interesting going there, and then we went to this amazing place, which is the Casa um, Casa de Priolo, which is Piano de Lupo, which is a sort of high plane of the Wolf, yeah. which is where they're supposed that the five hundred fifth are supposed to be landing, and only yeah. a couple hundred do. But there's this this strong point, this Italian strong point around this villa with bunkers and and trenches mm -hmm. and stuff around it on this kind of mild promontory, 
um, maybe a mile and a half north of of the um, of the Piano de Lupo, edge of the Piano de Lupo. And we went there, and you, you still go to this house. It's absolutely covered in bullet holes and spang and all the rest of it. Yeah. And, and so I was taking the people through this through this house, this sort of ruined villa, which basically hasn't been rebuilt or touched since yeah. the end of the war. Yeah. Where there was this really, really substantial fight, and you know, a handful of you know twenty five paratroopers from the eighty second from, from from the first battalion, A company, in the first battalion, managed to overwhelm this, this Italian position, yeah. nick fifty thousand rounds of machine gun ammunition, twenty five. Machine, Italian machine guns, all yeah. set up roadblocks, blah, blah, blah. And the stink was absolutely dreadful. I couldn't work out where it was coming from. Then we found there was a dead dog in the front room. Oh! Yeah. Oh, my God. It would obviously gone in, laying down to breathe its last and, you know, gone to a deeper, the deepest sleep of all. <laughs> and there it was. It was just left there. The whole place was completely high, but weirdly atmospheric. Right. Extraordinary. It's all a bit grim. Yeah, but uh, and then we went to the we went to the Canadian invasion beaches. That was good fun. Yeah, and um, and saw where we are. And you could absolutely marry up Farley Mowat's account, Alex yeah. Campbell's account yeah. from his letters and yeah. the war diary. Yeah. Suddenly, it all made sense. And this is the one where the commandos come from the other side of the spur. Yeah, and, and meet them. And it was really good. And there were the dunes. You know, you could see where the wire had been. There was the high ground, which wasn't very high, but significant mm. enough and all mm. that kind of stuff. So it was, always, it was really good. The terrain is sort of um, incredibly challenging. Did, did you get anything new from this trip? Yeah, I think so. I think, I've, I think I sort of doubled down on the uselessness of the Tigers. Uh, and yeah. I doubled down on, on just the sort of how bonkers these, these attacks were. So yeah. we went to the Headley Verity place, but I went to a slightly different place where I went before. And you just see this huge area. And I, I kind of, sort of looked at the original map from 1943, where it yeah. says, no cover. Uh, and there isn't. <laughs> and at least they're trying to do it at night under some kind of, you know, the cover of darkness and the cover yeah. of a barrage. Yeah. But the Italians, you know, the, the 34th Infantry advancing over the plain of Cello is, mm. is just insane. One yeah. thing you can't deny, though, is you cannot deny the, the courage of the Italians. Yeah. You can deny the uselessness of their their tactics and lack of coordination and all that kind of stuff. But but you know, hats off. That takes unbelievable balls to be able well, to walk over and open ground being absolutely hammered. But this is it, isn't it? You know, yes, it's stupid, but it's also got that um this is what the word gallantry is for, isn't it? Yeah. I've always thought that the word gallant gallant gets wheeled out where basically someone insists on a load of people doing something absolutely terrible that will get them yeah. killed. And they do it. Yeah, it was fascinating. The whole thing was fascinating. And I kept saying, so are you getting Are you getting a, a, a sort of sense of this location, a sense of the kind of the space? And they were going, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, loud and clear. I'm sort of feeling I was having, having a sort of dodgy winter moment, you know, where it was kind of... <laughs> Slightly sort of over over overselling my my pitch, but um, but but yeah, no, it was amazing. It was amazing, and I've I've also been thinking the Germans at Salerno and mm. and Kesselring and the abandoning of Apulia, yeah, in September, yeah, and 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 abandoning the Fodger airfields, yeah, and of course it's it's because he throws all his eggs in one basket, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, Every, everything is thrown at getting rid of Salerno. It's a really bad defeat for the Germans. Yeah, because. They've chucked everything at it and it's failed. Yeah. And uh, well, and the and, consequences are. But the, but the Allies getting ashore is a defeat for the Germans. Full stop, isn't it? Mm. This, is, this is the point. You, know, you, you don't need to, you don't really need, to, it, it's like the idea that they don't all achieve all their objectives on D-Day. No, they get ashore. They get ashore. They get 100,000 men ashore, whatever. Yeah, yeah. That, 153,000, yeah. Exactly. That's, 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 that's the objective, you know, like. Yep. Con, whatever you know, the, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Getting ashore is the point. That's the victory. That's the thing the Germans absolutely need to make sure doesn't happen, and they fail. But, and 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 it's the same at Salerno. They don't dislodge the, and even Anzio, you know, that 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 they don't dislodge it. They don't they dislodge don't. it, and the and, and the consequences of that. So Gasparini has his eight divisions in southern Italy. Yeah. So he's got he's got two thirds of a division yeah. left in Apulia in the yeah, southeast. Yeah. He's yeah. got one division guarding Rome, and all the rest are thrown at Salerno. The consequences of doing everything at Salerno means you have to abandon the southeast of what? What did I mean? What of, of, of Italy? What did Kessering know about Allied strength um, for Avalanche, though? What What was his apprehension of 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 what you know? Did he Did he think Did he think I'm throwing everything at it because because this will solve the problem, or did, was he thinking I'm throwing everything at it because this is everything that I've got? Well, I think I think what he's thinking is is that what I can do is I can I can throw the Allies out at Salerno and then I can turn back to deal with the Allies in Apulia. By, by chucking everything at Salerno and failing, you've then lost, you've 100% lost 
to learn, uh, lost uh, Apulia and the Foggia airfields rather than possibly losing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. losing that. Yeah. And, and, and and not contesting the landings at Taranto, which which would have been a. Um, right, well, that's all part of the kind of abandonment of Apulia. I mean, exactly. you know, it's, 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 it's just it's but, such but, an but, error. But he doesn't even bother contesting those landings, which which no. just seems so peculiar. Because that that's when you, you you know that's when you're at your most vulnerable is when you're between ship and shore. And because all his all his so he's got twenty nine pounds of grenadier in the southwest. Yeah, doing demolitions as eight farming moves up. Yeah. He's got third Panzer Grenadier, second pa- um, Faustum Jaeger around Rome. Yeah. He's got Hermann Goering and 15th Panzer Grenadier sort of between Rome and, and Naples. Yeah. He's got 26th Panzer kind of sort of hovering around. Yeah. And he's got first Faustum Jaeger in southeast. And he's yeah. got 16th Panzer at, yeah. at, at Salerno already. Elements of Faust, first Faustum Jaeger are left to do demolitions and minor, minor, minor rear, rear guards on the, in the southeast. Yeah, you know Apulia and confronting the landings at Taranto. Yeah, second Faustiniaga is left to look after Rome, and everything else is held at held at Salerno. It is an ideal landscape, though, for that kind of demolition, slow, granular retreat thing, though, isn't it? Because yes, you, you know, you've lots of bridges, you've lots of roads cut into mountainsides and all that sort of thing. So if you're if you're thinking essentially, I can't do everything all at once, because that's Kasserig's problem. Is he can't do everything all, all at once. He's he's not got the people he needs to be able to to deal with all the basically all the problems the allies are creating for him so he's got to he's got to pick hasn't he pick, literally pick his battle in this instance hasn't he yes so he decides to go all out to kind of defeat yeah. salerno but he doesn't yeah i know i know despite having superior numbers yeah we don't have superior firepower but they do have superior numbers and it doesn't work and well, they're defending. Th- but there's the word, firepower. There's the thing. Um, uh, uh, at, the, uh, at this stage, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because in, the, in the, the stage of putting people ashore, allied advantages in firepower are absolute, aren't they? And and deliver, particularly because you've got naval gunnery at your disposal. It's when, you, it's when you're off the beach and grinding your way up through through Italy itself, that that advantage starts to sort of nullify itself, doesn't it? He didn't have to do that. What he could have done is... Retreated slowly up the leg. No, that's my point. That, that's exactly what I'm saying. So you, what you do Demol- is you demolish everything. You you, you you demolish everything and you fight the battle when you're not having to deal with naval gunnery. And and then you go to Normandy the next year, and the Germans draw themselves into a an uneven struggle because of naval gunnery that they insist on exposing themselves to. Again, again. Will they never learn these people? But what you've got here is the Germans definitely not learning, and the Allies thinking. Well, if we can, if we can get them to loiter on, within range of our of our uh, uh, naval yeah. gunnery, we're laughing. WNTL, yeah, yeah, you know, which is why six airborne have have naval foos with them, yeah, parachuting in with them because that's 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 who's going to do your he- heavy lifting. He knows he can't get on the phone to Hitler and say, "Well, what we're going to do is withdraw and shorten our lines and get ourselves." It'll be he'll have. It'll be Hitler, Hitler on the telex machine or whatever they've got going. Push them back into the ocean immediately, isn't? Won't it? Yeah, so, but I don't think he's got on the blur that morning going. going you got to shove him back. I think he just says, you know, I think that's 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 Kesselring kind of responding to it. But hmm. but anyway, it, yeah, it's fascinating. You've been doing lots of Arnhem stuff. Oh though, haven't you? my god! So, fact, um, so 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 enough enough Italy. We're you know enough Italy. Well, should we on. take a quick break and then we'll come back? We'll yeah, come then we'll back. come back to Arnhem. I want to okay. take your medical man. Fascinating. Ah uh, yeah 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 yeah. Okay, uh, we'll see you in a tick. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. 
It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Way of Ways of Making Talk. We've mopped up Jim's Sicilian trip. Thoughts on Kessering? Um, well, Kessering. just one last point on the Sicilian trip, which links to which which links to your um, to Arnhem, is that um, you know I was talking to a lot of the, a lot of the guys about it came up in conversation what you were doing next and all the rest of it. So I mentioned it and 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 actually. Paul Davis mentioned it completely out of the blue. He just said, oh, God, I really love the sign of Owlsney, but it's just fantastic. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, so, so, so there pressure. is enthusiasm for that. No, oh, that's no good. No, well, I've been, well, but, but I've, been, I've, I've been, I mean, one of the basic things I've been doing is I've, I've, I've um, and we talked about this um, last time, I think, as I've been going through the Cornelius Ryan archive. And, and what's interesting about that is a lot of the accounts in there, are, you know, are people who also published books and memoirs and stuff. So, so this is, you can sort of cross reference and see the, which the extent to which things have maybe changed and in it with further reflection, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What you get relentlessly and you get it from what, what I really like about this is, is, is he's always said, you know, we were dying to go because we kept being, we kept being G'd up for operations, brief for operations. Then they got canceled to the point where, the Seaborne Tail, um, uh, First Airborne Division has a Seaborne Tail with scores of jeeps in it, and trucks, and the you know third line supplies and all this sort of stuff, and the, the RAOC component of uh, of the of the division and the RASC component, so the ammunition and supply side of thing, the logistics side of thing, absolutely um, fascinating. They set sail for France on the fifteenth of August for an operation that is then cancelled. So they're already out there. They've they've gone. They're already out there. They've gone. They, they, they're told. They're ordered to. They're ordered by First Airborne HQ to set off. Go to the Port of London. They yep. uh, embark. They come off uh, the Mulberry at Juno. They find an orchard to sort of park in um, in Normandy, and they hang around. and And basically, Second Army are going. Well, who, who, who the fucking hell are you? Like, why are you here? Right? Because one of the really, I think, one of the really interesting things about. And you and and, and as you, when you start to look at and Seb Ritchie is very good on, about this about how twenty first Army Group, you know, first Allied Airborne Army by the time Air, Ar Arnhem is six weeks old, so it hasn't actually organised itself yet, right? It isn't really properly organised. You've got different people in different roles, all because it's a brand new thing, and they just haven't bedded down. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's yeah. and it's 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 that's a really it's, good point. Actually, it's all it? post, but it's all post fillets where basically there's you know there's a reorganisation where yeah. where um you know Eisenhower Eisenhower takes over, sets himself mm -hmm. up in Europe, comes over, takes over. Monty's promoted, but but yeah. demoted. That you know the, all these things are all happening at once. And first, Allied Airborne Army is a big part of this. And the Americans get the get the key jobs. Yes, Browning is is in charge of um what we do when we get on the ground, but he is not in charge of what of how we get there, which is, after all, the critical piece of the jigsaw. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, but anyway, but basically, Seb, Seb Ritchie argues, 21st Army Group, they, they, they're not talking to um, 1st Allied Airborne Army. There's a, there's a you know, lack of understanding of what, what, of what the Airborne Army might offer, how they do things, what they do. And 21st Army Group, we're obviously... They've had they've had months since D Day of, of doing things their way, evolving, learning, churning, changing since yep. since since Overlord began. So there's that, right? So anyway, so the, so these logistics guys, they then have to keep up with the Great Swan is their thing. They leave wherever they are in in Normandy, and they follow the Great Swan all the way up to the up to the yep. Belgian Belgian border. But basically, you know, this echelon that that no one knows really who they are or what the point of them is. 
of what they're meant to be doing, right? Because the job, there are the idea is that they will then, in, you know, be part of the relief. So there's all that, which is absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and, isn't and it? The, and the and the quantities of stores involved. So R- Richard Adams, who was one of, um, is it Richard Adams who wrote Watership Down? Yes, it is, isn't it? He was in. He was in First Airborne RESC, right? Yeah. Um, and was in that seaborne tale. And there huh. were people who then then jumped into Arnhem to be the people receiving the supplies from the supply drop element that obviously was going to because they've got this they've got this issue that basically supplies for when you're relieved and then you have the supplies that are dropped in and there's the gap between the two and how you juggle the juggle the two of them so it's a more complicated logistic job than a standard line division necessarily has to be this book about the about the RESC in Arnhem is absolutely amazing full statistics on what they were dropping in yeah so so sten carbine sten mark uh, mark 5 carbine with complete with bayonet they send they drop in 18 of those Two, 162 two-inch mortars, 52 three-inch mortars. That's not that many. 87 piots, right, are dropped in. Guess how many, guess how many rounds of, 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 of a 303 bandolier are dropped in? Thousands, isn't it? 1.6 million rounds. Wow. And then 1, 1.6 million rounds of, um, of just rifle ammo, and then 800,000 rounds, or 823,756 rounds of 303 tracer. Sixteen thousand nine hundred and two piot rounds. That's incredible. I mean, I, I suppose the thing that's sort of striking me is 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 two things. First of all, the kind of sort of on the one hand, you've got this sort of incredibly last minute. It's all just been yeah. First Allied Airborne Army is kind of yeah. just been cobbled together, and you you haven't yeah. got the time for it all to bed in. Yeah. Flip side is incredible flexibility that enables uh, um, a, a group of troops that have been for an earlier operation to suddenly be adjusted and kind of tweaked yeah. for another operation. So yeah. th- th- that's well, so on, one level, right. that, on one level, that's quite chaotic, but on another level, that's actually quite impressive well, that they, well, they can well, just yeah. change. And, and, and Lawrence Wright, who's the, who, who wrote a, a Wooden Sword, which is a, gl- a glider memoir, who's, who, he's, the, he, 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 he's from the rock end of the glider pilot regiment, but he's not interested in Chatterton. In his memoir, he says about Arnhemies, he says, we just had a. We would overlay logistic plans because because it was so complicated. It was so the, the glider manifest lo- loads and all that. It's so complicated. It's so much paperwork. You you would not tip X out, but change the change the name of the operation at the top because it's just too. It's so complex, so in so involved, so detailed that you just had to go. Well, sod it. You know, like um, you know, uh, uh. uh this is what we'll. This is what we'll do. We'll just overlay the old plan. I mean, which is when you get the get the changes from the Vesel plan to the to the to Market exactly. Garden. Exactly. Exactly. It's just, exactly. It's just exactly. Comet. Just, just comet to Comet Two. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah and then yeah. to Market Garden. So stretchers folding airborne. One thousand two hundred seventy-two stretchers go in. Sleep bags. And someone, someone's going to work that out and go. Okay, I'm going to one thousand seven hundred twenty-two, yeah, yeah. not seven hundred twenty-three. And we're building wastage that um, you know a certain amount won't get through. You know, crosses distinguishing hospital airborne thirty. You know, it, it, wow. it workshop shelters for the Remy thirty-one get dropped in. Shelter portable number twelve. It's absolutely wow. amazing. Shelter portable number twelve. I want to look, look at what a shelter portable number twelve looks like. <laughs> what does that look like? I don't know. And then, I want one. and then that this book then has tonnage of supplies collected because, of course, the thing that goes really, really wrong. Is the resupply because the Germans are, 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 are contesting the LZs, and in fact, the, the LZ on on the afternoon of the nineteenth, the, the um, uh, Fourth Parachute Brigade are retreating across the LZ as um, as the drop goes in, and the glider supply, uh, the Polish gliders come in anyway. So um, they drop on on D plus one the eighteenth. They drop sixty six tons of uh, of stuff. Three low bulk loaded Hamel cars, thirty three Sterlings. I mean, this, uh, this is this is such big numbers organised in such short time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just think about the processing of that because you, you, someone's got to decide. That's got to be approved. Then, then messages have got to go out to all the people who are going to supply it, and the battalions, and all the airfields. Well, and the, and, you know, so, and, you, and then the material's got to get to the airfield, packed. Yeah, yeah. And you need a pannier that will deliver it properly, that will deliver it safely, that you that you know that you. You can know, this is this is not a kind of just sort of okay. Let's go tomorrow at ten. No, kind of operation. No. 
No, so they uh, on on the nineteenth D plus two, they collect twenty one tons of uh, uh, supplies, which is five point four percent of the total dropped. So they they've left loads of troops there to protect that landing zone. Well, no, not, which, which no, is, which no, is, no, 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 because because what's happened on by by day three, um, th- that landing zone. It isn't protected anymore, and the Germans. Okay, which is why uh, so little gets picked up. Yeah, when when they surrender at the bridge, they're given they're given they're given British chocolate and cigarettes, you know, by the Germans. I mean, it's oh, it's just to rub your noses in it. Yeah, it's estimated that another hundred tons approximately fell into unit lines. So, so that's the official amount connected collected by the RASC from the LZ. And there's a there's a guy called Captain Kavanaugh who on the on the 19th takes a bunch of lads out to try and get into the into the landing zone to collect supplies he's killed um uh, uh and all the, all his all his lads say I don't know why he didn't get a gallantry medal for that because what he did was incredibly brave yeah but 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 basically what then happens as well is the rate of collection falls off because the jeeps and trailers available for collection decrease because they're completely reliant on jeeps the first airborne is t- totally reliant on jeeps for bringing ammo up radio batteries and right. ev- evacuating casualties and obviously as the battle progresses the jeeps which are harder and harder to protect um because because as you know the Oosterbeek position isn't in the Oosterbeek; it's at the edge of Oosterbeek. you know the shawnord hospital is on the last road on the on the what what yep. is effectively the western side of the old village so they're essentially in the open most of them you know that all the positions around Around Div HQ, which is where they're bringing supplies into the divisional area, are exposed. They're under trees, and so the jeeps yep. and trailers are getting damaged. So even as even as the supplies keep coming, it doesn't matter because they can't transport them, and the uh, and the that tightens the the thumb screws from the supply end of things as much as anything else. And Dickie Lonsdale, after the after it, he says, if we'd had enough peer ammunition, we'd have kept them off till Christmas. But the problem is, is they can't get the peer ammunition through and unfortunately none of this happens on tuesday the 19th so i can't use it in my book but i will use it I'll be, i'm going to be kicking it around to illustrate things there's yeah. a, a memoir by a guy called alexander Lippmann kessel who right. was a um a, a surgeon and 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 in fact who after he died um insisted he was buried in the civilian cemetery in arnhem um he wanted to go back and be with with the lads he'd he'd um uh Saved and what have you, yeah, and uh, 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 and and not saved as well. And it, it his is and he's he's a Dutch South he's a South African Jew, so he arrives in um but can speak German, and he arrives in on the on the D Day, and then he goes to the Saint Elizabeth Hospital, and they set up pretty quickly, and they're in there, and he tries using his Afrikaans to talk to the Dutch people, and they really don't like it because they don't like his accent, and then he tries talking German to people. Anyway, his description of running the hospital at, uh, uh, at the St. Elizabeth Hospital is absolutely amazing. You know, every now and again, you get he, he sees Urquhart running past the hospital window. When when Urquhart is running around like a great wet hen, as it's been described. He is literally but, running. Yeah, he's literally, he sees him running past the window, because the house... The, the 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 house is opposite the house where yes. Urquhart ends up stranded is opposite the hospital. So he, yeah. at one point he sees him out of the hospital window. Which I think it's just kind of like the, the more you, the more I push into this, the more I think I think one of the problems with the, some of the accounts of the Battle of Arnhem is they make it all too coherent. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah. It's not That's coherent. Such a good point. It's, it's not coherent at all. It's no completely one's got a clue what the hell incoherent. is going on. No one knows what the hell's going on. And after the, after the, um, <laughs> least of all Roy Urquhart. Least of all Roy Urquhart. And after the, uh, um, you know, in October, Kessel's, you know, after the battle, he, he's kept on running, working the hospital, and he's tending to wounded and all the long term wounded. And he's he's the guy that saves General Hackett's life, saves Shan Hackett's life. He's an abdo- yeah. abdominal wound. He's pierced f- in five places in his in his stomach or his guts and Jesus. he fixes him and and we'll come we'll come we'll come to the sort of the interesting thing about that and he's in he's in the hospital i think as corporal hater he's had his badges yes. cut off and the and then the dutch underground turn up and say the germans are coming they think they they think they know you've got a brigadier in here so we're coming to take him away and they dress him up in civilian clothes and would stick a deaf badge on him so he can't be spoken to and whittle him out with with hackett going this is a terrible idea and cursing everyone and saying you're being ridiculous i'm i'm not important i'm not well enough you know all this sort of thing and the doctors and we're well, certainly and, not well enough that's and Lippmann sure. Kessel going, he's really not well enough. He shouldn't be moved. You know. Anyway, it's absolutely fascinating. So he says, you know, and every now and again, SS men will come in the building and shoot people, and then uh, in the hospital, and then really? and during the battle, and then bugger off. You know, he says from from the windows, we got glimpses of what seemed private skirmishes between small groups of the two sides. 
And once, between cases, I happened to spot none other than the division CO, General Urquhart, with a couple of aides edging his way past some houses. So that's, he probably saw Urquhart with Clemenson and Lathbury. Ridiculous. Ridiculous and incredible. He, his descriptions of working in the hospital are absolutely amazing, right? So helping in, so he, they, they set up everything they need, right? So um, Lance Corporal Wallace, a reserved muscular Geordie from a mining village, was in charge of preparing patients and resuscitation. This, these include removal of clothing and first aid dressings, superficial cleansing the area of the wound, giving morphia and other injections from specially prepared single dose ampules, each supplied complete with its own needle taking the patient's blood pressure and, if necessary, giving plasma or rarely a whole blood transfusion. So they're set up for this. You know, we were just talking about logistics and supply. The state of the, the medicine that they bring with them, certainly for the first two days, which is what they're equipped for, is absolutely state-of-the-art battlefield medicine. And they've learned an awful lot from what Six Airborne have gone through, which we touched on last time. Absolutely. It's fascinating. After the battle and after the dust has settled, he then gets picked up by the German division uh, uh, medical officer, the division, division Arzt, who wants yes. them to talk about, he want, they want to pick his brains. And they know he speaks German. And he's had a couple of dealings with this guy called Skalka, who comes in to talk to him. And he thinks to himself, Skalka must know I'm Jewish. He must know. How can he look me in the face and not, and not know? You know, he's saying, I look, I look like the Jews they say they hate, right? So what's going on, right? So he's then taken to um, to to meet. So he must think he's toast, doesn't he? He thinks he's toast, but then kind of nothing happens. And he, so he thinks, well, maybe I'm all right. So Skalka says, I want you to come and meet. Come, and, We want to pick your brains. We want to ask about stuff, right? And, uh, and so he gets in a car and Skalka's going, could you please hurry up? Um, uh, there are typhoons around and they'd like to spring surprises and all this sort of thing. And and everywhere they go, Dutch people are giving them the V sign and other people are, uh, uh, and other people are um, doing dot, 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 da- have done dot, 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 dash graffiti under German slogans, right? And uh, yeah. so it's, you know, so it's all the signs of the Dutch like um, uh, uh, rebelling. Anyway, he goes for this meeting and they start to pick his brains, right? And there's a thing called the Tobruk splint, which is a thing that was devised in the Western Desert, standard surgical procedure for the last 18 months of the British Army, right? And and he explains it to them, um, uh, the Tobruk plaster, as they call it. And he explains it to them. And they're all kind of like, yeah, yeah, we know that, whatever. Um, and the thing they want to ask him about is abdominal wounds. So they say, tell me about those men who are recovering from abdominal wounds. You've got four wounds in the belly. How many cases are there? And Kessel says, there's five. He says, yeah, but how many abdominal injuries were brought into the hospital and how many did you operate? He says, nine altogether, nine were brought in, all were operated on. I hope we'll she'll manage to save five of them. Dr. Friedrich, who's the doctor that's picking his brains, he says, yeah, but we don't get anything like that result. We, we unfortunately do not even get these results. In any case- Yeah, the, the, the abdominal wounds are considered to be fatal. Airborne surgery, they're expecting to save 60% of people with abdominal wounds, right? Yeah. The worst through penicillin and surgery. Yeah, 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 and 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 surgery and proper treatment of shock, plasma, blood, um, yep. all this sort of thing. I mean, th- th- this is the most amazing conversation, right? I don't think that Kessel in, in Lippmann Kessel in his description of this is has an axe to grind because he's Jewish and he and and I don't think he's I don't think he's coming at it like that at all. I think this this is this is a real conversation. So Friedrich says we unfortunately do not even get these results. In any case, what useful these men be? Right. And then he gives them a look. He gives glances at the others. His deliberate glances at the others showed he disbelieved me. He thought he basically thought he th- they think he's lying. Shooting a line. Yeah. Friedrich continues. No doubt. It is pleasant, interesting, perhaps, to play around with such cases when you have the time. In our army, we do not believe it pays under the conditions existing at divisional level or below to trouble with severe stomach wounds. Out of every 10 operated on, how many will live? Two, perhaps. At the most, three. Even those who manage to pull through are seldom of much use again. Wow. Right? And so then they're he, just discarding them. And the same goes for head injuries, he then goes on to say. Only the simple casualties are worth bothering about. The ones which will live until they reach the base. Any other approach is sentimentality, not surgery. For the rest, well, in this division, we have a useful occasion. Bauschus oder Kopfschuss, Spritzen. Belly wound or head wound, morphia injection. That's amazing. God, that's chilling, isn't it? Yeah. So they're just basically put to death. They don't care. Put to sleep like a dog. They do not care about their men, right? And and 
you know, very often when we've when we've sort of kicked around the sort of man for man stuff, whatever. I know which army I'd rather be in. I'd be the, I'd rather be in the army that if I have a stomach wound, they're trying to save my life. What are you asking of your men to, to put themselves in danger? And if they get hurt, well, bad luck. And then he says, I trusted my reply didn't show too much of the disgust I felt at their equation. Perhaps we managed to have more luck with these kinds of cases. You see, we expect something like 60% of all abdominal casualties, which reach a field surgical centre to survive after operation. You know, this is the thing. And, and, and this is the thing that the, the, the yeah. British and the Americans bring to them with, with their airborne things, that you, you, have, a, you have a field surgical centre. Does, the, does, the, does Harman's Fashmiegen landing in Sicily have that? Why is it right. that Hedley Verity dies? And, and then Friedrich says, you certainly seem to employ a good deal of, of blood and other fluids, you know. You fool. Um, but yeah. Our experience has been different. We found, for example, that to push blood into a man suffering from shock is a stupid waste of time, like beating a dead horse. We gave it up long ago, not only because it's useless, but in certain cases it can be dangerous. And so Kessel says, well, how do you treat shock? And they say they use stimulants like adrenaline and lobelin, which which were outmoded in the British Army medical establishment in the previous war. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And you do have this, you know, it, it, it is extraordinary, isn't it, that that you'd go into a war without putting your absolutely top men and top ideas and top backing into your medical supplies. Why wouldn't you? And, and instead, they're kind of putting them towards sort of rockets and the, the, the brains of Germany into, into rocketry and all sorts of other horrible things. But it just, it just shows that, 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 you know, because if, if the, if, if, if if it is Gotterdammering that people are after in the end in Germany at this point, you are that then you wouldn't save the bloke with the stomach wound because the world's going to end. It, it, Do you the, think that's the, come into play? I think that's part of it. I think everything's tinged with with the, the idea of destruction and with, death. With it's all it's all and fate and fate. It's that's so fatalistic, isn't it? There's no point saving. Them. There's no use to anybody. And 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 he goes. So they go on. The, the divisions asked, asked me to give them summaries of our methods of treating the main class of injury, chest, arm, fractures, burns, and so on. At the end of each, they turned to Dr. Friedrich for his comments, which were invariably derogatory. We do the same. It's nothing new. We've tried it, but no longer believe it's worthwhile. They, they like the sulfonamides. They, they think the sulfonamides are, are a good thing, the Germans. Mm-hmm. Um, they dismiss penicillin. They just scalker the doctor that, that he's been dealing with, dismisses it as moldy cheese. Um, wow. And they say that what wow. they'll do for head wounds and stomach injuries is euthanistic morphia. He'd seen plenty of the standard of their medical care because because German casualties, having been patched up at their clearing stations, were then sent to the field surgery at, at the St. Elizabeth Hospital because the British declared the hospital neutral, or the British and the Germans agreed that it was a neutral hospital. So he'd basically then have to patch up people who'd been patched up by German field medicine because it wasn't any good. But I mean, don't forget all these. These guys are battling with unbelievably short supplies. Well, yes. So, so I mean, you know, maybe, maybe what you've got here in a sort of twisted way is making a virtue of a necessity that they don't have these things that the Allies have got. They don't have the sulfonamides. They don't have no penicillin. They, they, they're, you know, I, I imagine doing a, a blood drive in Germany is pretty difficult um, because of the sheer quantities required. You know, when you when you're running the Eastern Front, and the Western Front. And you've and you're being blitzed, you know. Well, and you um, don't, and, and you know, and you you haven't diverted enough scientists to, yeah, to medical yeah. science. You, you yeah, know, all the medical yeah. science you're doing is is kind of sort of weird stuff with human skin as lampshades and all this kind of crap. Yeah. And, and, well, and, this is, I mean, this is what's really interesting. So, I mean, and it's worth it's worth reading at length. This. So, um, uh, I estimated that Friedrich himself was probably an efficient technician, and that he carried out the treatment laid down by the German army's medical authorities to their satisfaction. Indeed, it was unlikely that a particularly inefficient surgeon would be appointed to one of the Reich's crack panzer divisions. The only possible conclusion was that German military surgical methods were a long way behind ours and that they had degenerated. His attitude towards blood transfusion exposed not only how Nazism had perverted medicine, but also how the system had tended, even tended to destroy itself, which is such an interesting point. To yeah. make blood or plasma in the field means a sizable organization, expensive in manpower and transport. The casualties who need blood are the most usually the most serious and the least likely to return to service. In short, it was worthwhile only in human terms, not strictly military ones. Friedrich's justification for rejecting it for the use of only morphia for severe head and stomach wounds, to all of which he gave a pseudoscientific loss, was the ultimate logic in Nazi biological thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
First in the 30s had come euthanasia and racial purification in the cases of incurable mental disease. Next, liquidation of non-Aryan elements. Finally, the systemized, systematized refusal to attempt to save the lives of troopers in the 96th SS Panzer Division, the noblest flower of Aryan youth. Wow. 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 Isn't that it's so thought-provoking? Yeah, I'm sure you can get some of that in on the 19th, though. Oh, well, I'm going to, because I'm going to talk about medicine's going to be, because what's really interesting is also when you read the officers' accounts, they're trying to, what they're trying to do is put their chaps on maps and they're trying to deliver you the arrows on the map and say, I had an O group and we agreed to do this, that, and the other, and the map reference, right? And you know also that half of their troops, they don't know where they are because they're in all hiding in houses. You know, Tony Dean Drummond, who's the signals chief, he ends up hiding in a toilet for three days with with other blokes, you know, with the smell of shit. They, they don't know where they are, or they think they know where they are, um, and they don't know where anyone else is. And so his account is sort of honest in that he, he doesn't know what's going on. I think you made such a good point about, about, you know, one of the problems of accounts is that they're too ordered. The medic we were talking about last time, Stuart, Stuart Mawson, someone else pointed this out that, that there was uh, when I was talking when we were talking about it on Twitter. They pointed out it's one of their favourite accounts of the battle because he's not writing about it as a soldier. He's a he's a doctor, so he's writing about it as, basically as an amateur witness. So when when the men when the men in eleven para are like escaping the mortar barrage that catches them in the open, he he describes them as looking like animals fleeing a forest fire. And you think, right? That's a, that's that's a, that's a very vivid description. I'm, I'm, I'm getting that. I'll, that's I'll chaos. have that. I'll have that. That's chaos. Rather than you know, tactically, it was uh, 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 not not to the best of our advantage to withdraw in this situation, engaging with the enemy. You know, like you know, you know what I mean. And I think, and some of the glider pilots as well, because because they had varying degrees of uh, of of infantry training. You know, the way they describe things in some of their accounts is more is more like that, where they're going. Yeah, they're, they're they're not they're not trying to sort of. Uh, compartmentalize it into military speak. But one of the one of the things that's really, really, th- th- and this is the last thing for the Kessel thing that's really fascinating. They, I mean, one of the things they keep doing is they keep doing mock burials of people out of the out of the out of the hospital, um, which are okay. basically weapons. So they're burying weapons. Um, for, oh, I see. It, right? Okay. Yeah, and then every now and again they'll they'll carry someone out on a stretcher who's fine and and, and uh, under a blanket, and then he'll run off. So they're doing that sort of stuff. Wow. Okay, yeah. that's quite interesting. But they have a radio. They find a radio. Um, and uh, it, with with this a uh, little army a military ra- radio receiver, wireless receiver, and the padre and the and the and Kessel, like Lippmann Kessel, they hide it in a toilet, and then they listen to it from time to time. Each evening they go out with a torch, paper, and pencil, and they tune in, tune in for the nine o'clock news. They one would dictate, and the other would write down, right? And one night in October, they hear General Urquhart, the expedition's commander, then back in London, give a full summary of the battle, from which we were able for the first time to understand a little of what had happened. He didn't know. No what had idea. He, they, he says, we still believed that Second Army would attack across the Rhine at any minute and kidded ourselves with fanciful excuses for the lack of hard news. And the thing that makes him know that in the end that's not going to happen is when the RAF destroy Arnhem Bridge so the Germans can't use it. Wow. That Urquhart account of him yes. going, well, the chaps did awfully well and, and then there was a, it was a, they added a bit thin when a tank got in amongst them and all that, right? In which you can hear he's... And he's, it's all very stiff upper lip, but you can hear him. You can hear he's in completely in bits, I think. Um, and so right, to, now come a, to now come across someone who heard it when it went out in his account and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I found out so, some of what had happened in the battle, which I just think is amazing because he's a surgeon. So he's not thinking militarily. He's just dealing no. with casualties. And he says- and Is this a book or is this in the- It's a book. It's a book, uh, and it's it's on it's it's. I Never think heard Penn, of it. I think Pen and Sword published Surgeon at Arms, parachuting into Arnhem with the first airborne. Then he escapes, you know, and he's part of the sort of one of those escape things where they're all like they're hiding in barns and. Uh, and he gets to get back away. to our lines. Mm. Wow! Yeah. A surgeon a learns soon. A surgeon learns soon, perhaps too soon, to isolate himself from the human agony, to free his professional judgment from the fetters of pity. This is something different from being hard. But in a cauldron like Arnhem, Arnhem, there is too much pain, too much torn muscle and splintered bone, too much insult to young bodies. Wow, what a line. Well, it sounds to me like you're getting absolutely amazing material. 
There's some. There is some great. There is some and, really, and, really and, and changing perspectives and things quite a lot. I well, would say. well, I think the thing, the want. thing I want, the thing I really want to try and get hold of. They all thought it, they they were all desperate to go, and there's you know that th- there's. There's that thing of the so no, no lambs of slaughter nonsense. No, and a big no, and a big part of why people said yes to it, even though they kind of thought, you know, um, lots. Some people thought the landing zones were, were, were an ideal, drop zones were an ideal. Other people thought, brilliant, we will land and arrive in strength. Yeah, great. And they're also in the questionnaire. The the, the the questionnaire. They're all asked about how they feel about dropping at daylight, and they're all going brilliant. Bring it on. <laughs> I I hate it dropping at night. But the training jumps I did at night was terrifying. Yeah, fantastic. And then the other guys who go, I've never, I've never fought before. In the, I had never fought in battle before, so I was entirely content with going in at daylight. So I'd know what was going on. Amazing. Yeah, and and, and the thing. So that's the thing I want to try and capture. So by the Tuesday, they're still thinking we can do this, even though the Monday has been an absolute disaster. Yeah, and, and the other you, good thing, the other good thing about, about all these um, um, Cornelius Ryan stuff is this is all happening in the sixties. So it's, yeah, it's really yeah. so not it's all, that long after. It's all fresher, and it's also be- be- actually it's also before a bridge too far. Yes, of course. It's before their memories have kind of been got at. Yeah, by the historiography, which is you know after we we, we ages ago we had that we had that letter, didn't we? With John Howard writing to um, yes, 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 uh, to, uh, to love it. To love it going, unfortunately, the men have all seen the film and their memories have been tainted. Yeah. And, and so th- this is all before a bridge too far is a bridge too far. So none of them have none of them have seen a bridge too far. So there is so for instance, there is a there is a mention of one of the supplies things, the second line supplies, there were berets and that annoyed us. But it, it not it's not blown up into a dramatic instant directed. Directed no, and of course, and of course this is piece. this is not only just before the film. This is before the book. I mean, exactly, it's exactly the book. my point. So, and the book comes quite substantially before the film. So, yeah. Well, anyway, how interesting. Great yeah, stuff. But, it, but it's finding that the medics are the place that I'm, and the, the medics are the thing that I'm finding really, really because they're writing about it quite. They're writing about it quite differently, they're, and they're also they're also demonstrating, you know, how state of the art this thing is. But then to loop all the way back round to what we were talking about earlier, that without artillery firepower. The Allied way of doing things is, doesn't work. Doesn't work, you know, because what the they thing really that saves need is piets. <laughs> but the th- yeah. piet, piet ammo. That's amazing. Yeah. Right. Well, that there we go. So I'm I'm scrabbling around in that stuff and trying to make sense of Sounds it. Sounds great. Fun. To, Sounds great. Yeah, it's really really interesting. Well, but no, because clearly you're finding out new material and you've been looking yeah. at the subject for a long time and finally you're getting new stuff and there's there's nothing more exciting. If you uh, if you fancy it, there is our Patreon. Um, we uh, we're we're. Not one of those hard sell podcasts. You know, Jim, I noticed there have been a load of podcast awards ceremonies this week. And at no point have we ever told any of our listeners to vote for us in any kind of nomination thing. We've never yeah, why don't we it. know about that? I don't know. Oh, we don't need that kind of stuff. We're, we're above awards. You know, that's like sort of, you know, hunting for a Knight's Cross. <laughs> I'm going to win a bloody VC. I'll let my actions the do the talking. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We will see you again very, very soon. The live cast... Um, wasn't last night. Um, th- this is Tuesday. It's next Monday. If you're a Patreon, where you you can watch me and Jim uh, engage in this sort of deathless banter. Um, we w- <laughs> you lucky um, people. Uh, you lucky people. That's Patreon. We have ways. Um, if you pa- if you Google, we have ways of making you talk Patreon. You will find it easily enough. Um, we will see you all very soon. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Cheerio.